Hello and welcome to AutoLine this week, coming to you from the floor of the 2012 Detroit Auto Show. We got a great lineup of executives who I will be interviewing today, including Mary Barra, the head of all global product development at General Motors. And we've got Reed Biglin, the president and CEO of the Dodge brand at the Chrysler Group. And we've got Jim Farley, the group vice president of all sales and marketing for the Ford Motor Company. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Joining me right now is Jim Farley, the Group Vice President of Global Marketing, Sales and Service for the Ford Motor Company. And great having you back as always. You're nice just so much here. fun to talk to. <laughs> and you've got to be so geeked. I mean, you guys got so much going at this show. The new Ford Fusion that's being unveiled, the Lincoln MKZ, big yes. step forward for, for Lincoln. You must have put a massive effort into this show. We did for a, a couple reasons. And the other big news for us is the going public, basically, with the very mass uh, availability of EcoBoost. Both the, the new Escape that we launched in, uh, in LA and uh, the new Fusion is really one of our biggest bets in the company. So we always talk about products, but the other big news for us is that this is a second mass 20,000 plus a month product that's gonna bet on EcoBoost and fuel economy. Uh, I think for us, you know, the Lincoln stand physically is a big, um, it's big news for us, not only in the product, because it gives a glimpse of where we think the brand's going to go, not just the product. This is really Ford's coming out party, as it were, for Lincoln. Yes, yes. Of really putting a lot of emphasis on this brand. That's right. A couple of years ago, we, we made the commitment that we would focus on Lincoln like we focused on Ford. You've seen what's happened with, you know, Ford. with yeah. Ford. So um, we've now made the commitment of unique upper bodies. Uh, we have seven new products. Uh, we're going to see a concept that kind of hints very um, very strongly at where we're going as a brand, but that won't be enough. Uh, I've been involved in one uh, launch of a luxury brand you know, more than 20 years ago, and although it's a long journey, our aspirations are really different than the current offer in the marketplace. And the stand and the product come together kind of to go back to the 60s Lincoln of an independent-minded, kind of bespoke product with a very personalized service. Almost very different than the sales, you know, 300,000 unit uh, sales in a war type of brands we're competing with. How are you going to market the Lincoln brand then? Are you going to create something that really signals that this is a totally different feel to the brand? Absolutely. Can you uh, give us any hint of what that'll be like? Not necessarily, but 2012, uh, the stand is probably the best example of the new Lincoln. Um, and it's not necessarily new. I always believe, whether it's Ford or Lincoln, that the truth is there somewhere. Uh, and uh, authentically, when Lincoln was at its best, the 30s, the 60s, the 70s, it was known as a brand for independent-minded people. You didn't buy it to get noticed necessarily, but you bought it to say you're different. And uh, we are really engaged in that kind of um, that kind of proposal on the product side, on the experience side. Because the brand, or the other competitors, especially German brands, have gotten so large in scale, their dealerships, their lineup is so complex, dealerships are so enormous, we're really kind of discovering the boutique phase of the industry. We really want to see the brand as a, more of a boutique experience. The doorman knows your name, it's very personal, it's not big, it feels small. 
I think that's something new in our industry and uh, and we're going to be explaining to everyone our brand vision, the dealership and the product tomorrow. Let's talk about advertising and marketing, your forte yeah. especially. I love what Ford's doing in all of its ads, especially the truck ads, combination of text, yes. pictographs, yes. and talk a little bit about that because okay. boy, it just resonates so well with me. I'll never forget, I had a media rep, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, you know, Jim, no, never forget when you're creating that ad that um, in late night TV, 20% of the people are drunk or asleep. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if that's really true, but the point is, if your ads don't work, with the volume down completely, they're not going to work. Plus, think about the digital side. We live in a visual world, especially in digital space. If you want to use that content again in any way, but the most important thing is truck advertising kind of got into a ridiculous demonstration phase where everyone was pulling freight trains and planes and and I think we wanted to get back to really a customer-centric approach. But if we just had someone blabbing on about how great our fuel economy is, it wouldn't be enough. We needed that graphic rein reinforcement of the very thing you're hearing in your ear uh, so that you hear it twice. And uh, as a leader in the industry, uh, I think that, that was important for us to have a cut-through creative where you heard the message twice i.e. with your ears and with your eyes yep. is what you're saying. Absolutely. And what I like too is how you'll take pictographs and drop it next to the text. So Absolutely. it'll be the word, you, you might say fuel economy and show a fuel pump or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Or I think the neatest thing is we've really handed over the marketing of the brand to people. You notice in our ads, we have people now being interviewed and talking about whether you like it or not. Uh, we, don't re we really believe that customers are the best people to sell our brand. And so on the truck ads, we wanted to really, even though we're the leader, we want to present our engineers as kind of almost truck geeks. So we use pictures like pizza and, you know, um, so that our engineers are seen as like the greatest engineers in the world, but we're almost too geeky to, to relate because we want to build the best widget. I think the graphics allowed us to have fun with the advertising without being funny and a comedian. And I noticed that it's not just in your ads. When you had the, the unveil of the Ford Fusion here yes. at the Detroit show, you opened with the same same approach, not the yes. same, but yep. the same thinking of using text graphics and really emphasizing the message that way. It's a great pickup because uh, we find in, in all the complexity of all of our lives when we consume media, you got to keep it simple. Keep the message simple. Ours is very much focused around fuel economy. And when you say something, make sure that the customer's seeing something that reinforces what you say. And only then can you have a really chance to cut through. Now, that's all on the, the Ford brand side, right? Lincoln, how are you going to do it? Well, we're in a transition phase now. We're just launching a pretty substantial freshening for the S and the T. That'll be big news. But really, um, the big news for us in Lincoln is the preparation for the brand's um, acceleration. Uh, with the new launch of our lineup coming later this year. So we're really getting ready. We just um, created a new advertising agency uh, and partners with WPP in New York. That's where the luxury talent is. We have a whole dedicated team. We just, uh, told, um, we just launched a, a new design studio 
Uh, we actually have had it for a couple years, but we're just talking about it now, 180 designers working dedicated on just Lincoln, Lincoln now, just to Lincoln. Wow. And uh, we have more and more resources going on in Lincoln now for the last couple years. We've been pretty quiet about it because we've been so focused on the Ford brand. Now the product's about to come out, 12 will be the year where if we do our job right, people start at least talking about Lincoln. And you oversee marketing and advertising and sales for Ford globally. Yeah, absolutely. Does, does everything that we've been talking about, you know, the, the text, the pictographs, is that being used in advertising outside of the U.S. Not market? necessarily. Really, the flavor of our advertising around the world is the idea that our customers can sell our brand. So we just launched a new territory in Australia. We had actually, our TV commercial uh, is one of our diesel engineers, because it gets a thousand kilometers on one tank, we have her visiting all her Facebook friends friends, in one tank of diesel across a whole country. And um, we put our own engineers in the TV commercials. Not a spokesperson, it's our frontline engineers. We're doing the same thing in Europe now. Uh, Europe is uh, using their own uh, engineers. Our bet is that in the age where everyone's skeptical of big companies, it's so important to be believable. And the only way to be believable is not to have an Alan or Bill or myself or even our spokesperson, Mike Rowe, in the U.S. It's got to be a real believable person. So our bet and the flavor of our work is the end customer selling our brand. And speaking of end customers selling the brand, you're big on social media yeah, and, and engagement. Absolutely. Anything new that you can talk to us about in, in that part of your business? Well, we have a really uh, big launch of the Explore Roots, which is going to be a, a pretty big deal. We did the Fiesta movement a couple years ago, still paying dividends for us. Uh, but now we're going to take that and scale it in a much bigger way for the pre-launch for the Escape. The Escape doesn't go on uh, sale for a couple months, but we have Escape Roots where uh, we have seven teams and uh, we already have the teams. You go online and you help those teams as they go to a new city with their new Escape to uh, win, frankly, to win money and prizes. And uh, the, you know, so far I think that's the kind of taste of our marketing. Pre-launch, we take a lot of money that we usually used to dedicate for launch period when the product is available. We're now putting it six months, a year before the product even comes out, social and digital, do a contest or something where people are talking about it, and then that really helps. We found with the Explore, Explore Live, and all of our launches, we literally had three, four months of orders before we even sold one. Well, good. Jim Farley, thanks so much for stopping by. Very interesting story of what's going on at Ford. Joining us right now is Reed Biglin, the president and CEO of the Dodge brand. And Reed, what a big day for you guys, unveiling the Dodge Dart at the Detroit Auto Show. Well, no question, a very exciting day for us. You know, we've been out of that compact car segment for all intents and purposes for a few years now, so it's great to return with the Dart. You know, what has really amazed me is just hearing people outside of the business talk about, oh my gosh, Dodge is bringing back the Dart. And they all reminisce about when they had a Dart, and I'm going, really? Yeah. You just come out with a new car, call it the Dart, and everyone starts talking about it. How easy is that for you? Well, it has created a lot of chatter. And you know, we did a lot of research on the name Dart. You must have agonized over what to name the car. Well, you know, it really came into, into place relatively easy. A much younger demographic just looked upon it when they saw the class-exclusive uh, aerodynamics. 
uh, that the dart and the very nature of the dart just fits. And you know, some of the older demographic, it's not your grandfather's dart, but it, it's still <laughs> living large in drag strips around the country. But you must have worried about bringing back an old name and going, yeah, 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 will people just see it as old and dated? Or Well, it's always a concern, although the original dart had a good run. We sold almost four million darts. And one of the reasons why in our initial teaser photos at the beginning of the de December, we wanted to get the name out there, let that thing uh, have a little bit of a life of its own, and then today the focus can be on the car. I'm told that it can cost an automaker an easy $100 million to try and establish a new name in the marketplace. No, no question. It takes a lot of uh, money and a lot of resources to create brand awareness, and I think we've jumped the queue a little bit here by bringing back the dark. I, I think you have too, and you know, this is just my non-scientific sort of listening around to the buzz, and uh, I think it's going to pay off for you. How are you going to really tell the public, though, that this car is out? and what its attributes are. How do you plan to market and advertise this? Well, it really started at the beginning of December by trying to pique some of the customers' interest with the name that we just talked about, as well as some of our exterior photos. A week after that, the interior photos, and then, of course, the big reveal here in, uh, in Detroit. So right away, a lot of people are aware of the Dart. And we'll start to spool things up here in the second quarter on more traditional venues, TV, radio, newspaper, and, of course, the Internet. And I've got to imagine that it's both styling and fuel economy that you're really going to hammer in your message, or is there more to it than that? Well, you know, no question. I think the key why buys in the segment are price, fuel economy, and reliability, but they're no longer differentiators in the segment. We think we're there on all three of those, but the unique thing about the 2013 Dart is it brings a whole lot more. Best-in-class technology and outstanding exterior styling. Okay, let's talk about the, some of the rest of the lineup, too, because it's not all about Dart. You had a pretty good uh, run there, too. I saw towards the end of the year, the Dodge Avenger was selling strong. Avenger sales in December were up 58% year over year. 58%, so that's got a nice ring to it. No question, <laughs> it finished the year on a high note. Uh, the Durango, Consumer Reports, number one recommended uh, full-size SUV. We had our best uh, Durango month in, in December, and just a tremendous amount of momentum, not only throughout the Dodge brand, but also throughout the various Chrysler Group products. We had our highest retail sales in four years in December, so it was a great way to finish off a very strong 2011. And we should let the audience know that you run Chrysler of Canada. It's not enough to have one job in Chrysler. You've got to have, what you got three. You've got Dodge, you've got Chrysler, and you've got sales, right? Yes, I do. I don't think Mr. Marchione would have it any other way. So <laughs> it has a tendency to keep people busy. But uh, we had a great deal of success last year in the U.S. We gained more market share than anybody else. And the same story in Canada. We gained more market share last year in Canada than any other manufacturer. But a, a little bit different mix of what was selling in Canada? A little bit of a different mix in Canada. The Ram pickup truck is the second highest selling vehicle in Canada. The Dodge Grand Caravan is the fourth highest selling vehicle in Canada. You're not just talking Chrysler lineup, I'm you're talking, talking in the all, whole country. All over, out of the 250 different nameplates to choose from, we're the only manufacturer to have two of the top five highest selling vehicles up there. So we're very proud of that. And let's talk a little bit about sales too, because what impressed me about Chrysler, and I started noticing it in 2010, is that with really not much new in the showroom at all, you were starting to gain sales and market share. Last year you poured on even more this is the year and even next year when you really start getting the product. So how have you been really boosting sales? Well, give us some tricks of the trade. Well, I, I think it all started this time last year with our 16 either all new or significantly refreshed products. We had four completely all new and then we made some significant interventions into another 12 products. And that's the ticket to this industry. We finished the year with 21 consecutive months of year-over-year -year sales growth. 
and as I said, uh, highest selling uh, vehicle manufacturer from a market share perspective in the U.S. Retail sales up 43% and uh, considerable success as well in Canada for the second year but, in a row. But what is it? Is it making it, sure that the, the dealers are getting the kinds of cars spec the way customers want it? Or? You know, I think it's all the basic blocking and tackling, but there's still no substitute for product. And those interventions that we made to our products pretty much had three things in common. One, more horsepower and greater fuel economy. Look, gone are the days if you wanted more horsepower, you had to sacrifice fuel economy and vice versa. Dramatic improvements in our exterior styling, and probably the biggest Achilles heel we had a few years ago was our interiors. And we made dramatic improvements as well in our interiors, and you see that with respect to our new cars. So are you happy with Dodge's lineup right now, or what would you like to add? You know, there's always room for improvement, but pretty content right now. If you look at the lineup that we have, the all-new Dodge Charger won an Automobile Magazine All-Star Award, the Durango I touched on doing very well in the Consumer Report rankings, and now we add the Dodge Dart, which is going to fill arguably the greatest hole in Chrysler Group's product platform, and that'll be hitting dealership showrooms in Q2 and uh, we see some of your competition coming out with even smaller cars, B-Class cars as they call them. I, Fiat's got some pretty terrific B-Class cars. I'm sure one of them would look good as a Dodge. They do, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I think the Fiat brand in particular, we still have unfinished business there. We, we finished the year with Canada-US Fiat sales around 26,000. That's pretty much pure incremental for us, and December was our strongest retail Fiat month of the year. So we finished Fiat on a high note, and I think we still have uh, some considerable growth opportunity ahead of us with that product. You just had an interesting sales number, 26,000. About 16 was in the U.S., is that we right? We had about 21,000 in the U.S. Okay. and about 5,000 in Canada. Okay, so it's selling disproportionately better in Canada then, right? Uh, about a four to one. Now that market, uh, if you remember, about 42% of the Canadian market is small and compact vehicles. And in fact, when you just look at compact cars, about 25% of the market is Canada about 15% in the U.S. So Americans still like generally their larger cars and larger SUVs, certainly relative to Canada and also relative to the rest of the world. I think the real anomaly with respect to the size of the cars is here in the U.S., whereas Canada is much more similar to Mexico, South America, or Europe. Mm -hmm. Very interesting that uh, you see those regional differences even though the border is, in fact, I can get across the border faster than I can get home. Yeah, depending upon your golf game, you could probably fire a golf ball from Kobo here into Canada. No, no, but it would uh, slice way before it hit you'd there. You'd hit the water. Yeah, that, that's right, exactly right. Well, Reed Biglund, thanks so much for stopping by and bringing us up to speed with what's going on at Dodge. It's got to be an exciting year looming for you here. It's an exciting year in 11, and I'm sure 12 will be equally the same. Thank you very much for having me. Happy New My Year. My pleasure. Thank you. Mary Barra, the head of all product development at General Motors. Mary, so good to have you here well, with thanks, us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Big show for General Motors this one. It is. It's exciting. I mean, you've got a couple of uh, new production cars, most notably the Cadillac ATS. Why don't we yes. start and talk about that? Because there's so many cars to talk about. But you've got to be very proud of this because we learned a little bit more about the, the baby Cadillac. Yes. 3,400-pound curb weight. This from a company that's not known for lightweight cars. That's pretty lightweight for a car in that segment. Absolutely, and I'm, you know, I'm really proud of the designers and the engineering team that work together to develop the ATS. I mean, I think it shows the capability when there's that focus, and as, 
as we know from uh, uh, Dave Leone and his team, was a focus on every single gram and making the trade-offs, not just uh, completely optimizing weight, but making sure we made our weight uh, decisions and component decisions to optimize the performance of the vehicle. And I'm confident it is going to be a great vehicle. So I've got to take it that this is a sign of things to come from General Motors. You can design lightweight cars. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think the ATS is our first example, but there's many more to come with that focus that the team definitely knows how to execute. Look. We can come back to the ATS in a minute, but sure. two concept cars that Chevrolet yeah. showed this morning yes. caught me by surprise. I didn't know that they were coming. Mm -hmm. The Code and the True. Yes. Do I have that right? Those yes, are the you right do. names? Yes. Let's start with the Code because to me that sort of looks, don't be insulted by this, but it's almost BMW 1 series like, or even the original 2002 BMW. And I know it's not a copy of mm -hmm. that, but there's a feel to that car that reminds me of one of the most terrific cars that ever hit the roads. Well, you know, I think, again, uh, a very talented design team that came up with that, really looking at the research and the data and the feedback that we got from millennials across the country. And so I think they looked at that, understood what they look for in styling, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful vehicle. I think, you know, very different um, than the, uh, the, uh, the True. And so when you put the two of them together, I mean, I think it starts to talk about 80 million millennials and that they are going to look for many different variants. But uh, again, both, both beautiful vehicles, both different. And talk a little bit more about the code in terms of what it is. I mean, I know it's rear drive, but I don't know a whole lot more about conceptually what that kind of car might be like. Well, again, I think we're looking for a vehicle that has is fun to drive, that has great fuel economy, that has the the performance uh, that uh, you know people are looking for, that it's nimble and quick, but yet is an affordable package. And I think when you pull all that together, I mean, it, again, it's a concept. There's yet a lot that we're going to pull. I think we're going to learn a lot from the auto show and other auto shows when we take those vehicles and get input from um, people of what they're looking for. But to, to come together, that's uh, that's the, the the beginning. And the true and yes. I, I'm told that might be front-wheel drive, but again, what are you trying to achieve with that? Well, again, I think it's, I, I, when I look at the True, I, I you know, think it's gorgeous. I really like the, the matte white. I think that uh, really showed it off nicely, but I think it's that sports car in all of us that we all want, that sleek performance vehicle, and I think it really uh, you know, delivered that well. Now, you mentioned that both those cars are aimed at millennials, 20-somethings or thereabouts, right? Isn't that a real challenge for the automotive industry because today's 20-somethings are very different when I was a 20-something in that if I wanted to go someplace, hang out with my friends and whatnot, I had to get in the car and drive there. Today with your smartphones, your iPads, you can Skype or text or talk or do whatever you want. They don't seem to be as interested in automobiles. Well, and I think the answer there, in my opinion, and looking at a lot of the research and working with John McFarlane and his team, is, is maybe not yet, because you're absolutely right. Our, our desire to get out and get our vehicles was our freedom and our ability to, to, to be with our friends. They have that live with their smartphone, with texting, with Facebook, but there still is going to be a big need for the freedom that an automobile, a, a, whether it's a car, truck, or crossover, provides. And that's why the research we're doing and the way we're doing it is so critical, to really understand what is going to resonate with that uh, you know, millennial population and you know, the various segments for, for uh, transportation going forward. So you run all product development for General Motors, which is really impressive. What are the biggest challenges that you see going forward right now? Is it the fuel economy regulations or what? 
Well, definitely making sure that we have the right fuel economy and that we lead in each of the segments and are offering that value to customers is critically important. And, and having working on the right advanced technology because it's really going to be a multitude of solutions that I think are going to meet the needs around the globe. Uh, so that definitely is a challenge. I, I would say that we have such a talented uh, group of uh, engineers and designers. I'm confident that given the right assignments and direction, they're going to find the right solutions. And we're also working with our suppliers in a new and different way to make sure we're partnering because there's so much to learn. We need to, do, we need to leverage all that learning and work together. The fuel economy regulations, though, after 2015 get really tight. Right. Makes somebody like me wonder, how do you do full-size pickup trucks and SUVs and even full-size sedans that give people the room that they want, yet gives them the uh, fuel economy that the law requires and does it in a way that doesn't kill everybody's pocketbook? Well, I think the Malibu um, with e-assist is a great example. I mean, here you have a vehicle, it's a full-size sedan, so it provides all of that functionality. It's beautifully designed, and it gets a 25% improvement from what people expect from fuel economy for a, a, you know, an option price of about $1,800, $1,900. So, I mean, I think that's a very good example. As you walk around the show floor, I don't know if you've had a chance to do that, what do you want to keep your eye out on what the competition's doing? Well, I haven't had a chance, but I'm, I'm uh, very anxious to do that. And I mean, I, I guess I want to take it all in. I mean, there's so many important components of, of, of design, technology, fuel economy, and uh, again, there's a lot of very uh, capable uh, OEMs here, so I want to take it all in. <laughs> that sounds a little too politically correct. I'm sure you want to rip into what the competition's doing and find out what's at the heart of it. Well, you know, I do want, I want to understand, like I said, I mean, there's, some, there's no easy pass anymore in this global auto industry. I mean, there's incredibly capable um, uh, companies. So it's really looking and seeing where they headed and understanding where we stack up and making sure, you know, our, our intent is to lead. Hey, we're not in it to place, we're in it to win. I keep hearing throughout the industry that there's a shortage of really good technical people. And yet I also hear General Motors say, maybe it's got too many of them. How do you, how do you balance that, a need for technical uh, people and yet maybe the fact that the corporation has more people in that area of the business than it needs. Well, uh, I, I think you've got to look at it. Um, first of all, you know, having the right technical people is critical. The right designers and engineers is absolutely critical to winning in this in this uh, very competitive industry. Uh, what I've been focused on is, in some cases, we had people working on things that support engineering as opposed to actually engineering cars, trucks, and crossover. And we've had a shift of moving in that direction. I do believe in the next five to ten years, there's going to be a, a, a fight for the great technical talent, and we're positioning. We want to make sure we're the place to work. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that and see if you make it the place to work. But it's been very impressive to see the products coming out of General Motors. Mary Barra, thanks so much for Thank taking you. the time to be on the show today. Really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, John. Good to see you. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I've really got to thank today's guests, Jim Farley, Mary Barra, and Reed Biglin. And please join us here again next week for another edition of AutoLine This Week.